Deceivers, liars, and phonies. They've been around since the beginning of the church. We need to be aware of that and know how to handle them when they cross our paths. Abounding Grace is up next. This is amazing grace. Thanks for joining us today for Abounding Grace. Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program and the pastor of Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. Today we'll continue our series through 2 Corinthians with an important message about false teachers. Now every message based on the words of the Bible is important, but in the day and age we live in, warnings about false teachers is especially important. They are everywhere today and the deceptions are sometimes very subtle but they are also very dangerous. Here's Pastor Ed in 2 Corinthians 11. This is the last section of uh, the letter to the Corinthians that we know as 2 Corinthians. Paul is expressing his deep concern for the church after he left. After he left, people came in, false teachers and leaders came in to try to disrupt and disarm and discourage and teach in a false way against Paul and they were successful now I don't think when Paul writes the letter to the Corinthians that the entire church like like if the letter was written for everyone here right now or everyone listening in that everyone had believed the lies but some did and some is enough I mean a lie is a lie is a lie and to believe it in bringing division from the people that God has obviously brought into your life, it's very discouraging, I'm sure, for Paul to have to answer and even put up a defense. You'll see later on in verse 16, that'll be the next time uh, in our study, he says, you know, I say again, this is chapter 11, verse 16, let no one think me a fool, and if you do, then receive me as a fool, that I might also boast a little. He's getting to the place where I can't even believe I have to write these things. It seems and feels foolish to me. You might even view me as a fool, but even if you do, let me talk. Hear me out. And those that had come in into the church had undermined the voice of Paul, they had begun to undermine his influence and even take, try to take down his reputation. They were chipping away at it, little by little by little. And it's not anything new, is it? There is and always have been those that continue to want to rule over people in Jesus' name. And the only way to be able to rule over someone in Jesus' name is to undermine a true shepherd or a true pastor or a true leader by trying to put them down so that the person wants to rule over you can then come and say, well, you know, I'm the real, I'm the true, follow me, where's Paul, here I am, and on and on. You can jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter, he says, just the opposite he teaches us under the inspiration of the holy spirit he tells us to shepherd the flock of god that's among you serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly 
not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, and listen, he says in verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The men that Paul is dealing with came to Corinth after he left. A very convenient opportunity that was taken. Paul was one of those guys that was moving, always moving. He was a church planter. He was a missionary. He was moving from place to place. God's calling on Paul's life is one where he would go and establish a work, stay for a while, and then he wanted to go to the next place and establish a work, stay for a while and go to the next place. I have friends that that's their calling in life. I don't have that personality. Uh, I think it kind of sounds exciting, but not so much. Uh, I know that when we moved to Colorado, God placed it upon my heart that we're coming here to stay that's I mean I know he can change that and I know he can stir things differently and I would never want to uh, you know stop him from but but I'm not one of those guys that can just move around Uh, it's not I don't like it it's not I like staying in one place I I like being home those of you that have been around for a while you know although I have the privilege and the opportunity to travel uh, and I do I take you know trips to Israel or I might have the opportunity to teach or lately uh, God really impressed upon my heart for missions and go on mission teams and lead them I'd much rather stay home If I had my choice, I like being home, I like being with my family, I like being with my church family, I I like those things, but Paul and a few friends of mine are very different. He was always taking these steps of faith in the church planting. I guess what we would call him today, or one of the things we could call him today, is he was a pioneer. He loved to pioneer things. He loved to start things. He was willing to go into uncharted territories and work for the Lord and start a work where there hadn't been one done in that area. Go back to chapter 10 real quick. We touched on this real briefly uh, back in verse 13. I mean, this is the heart of Paul. In verse 13 of chapter 10, it says, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. And then he says in verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. He says, when my life, Paul, in order to to paraphrase this for today, Paul would say something like this. Hey, in my ministry, I want to go somewhere where nobody is. I don't want to build on another man's foundation. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. He had this burden to go into the hardest places, the most difficult places, where he would be the first one there, where, where he would be the one that would walk into nothing, and then by the God's grace there would be something. But I have to say this. For every bold, step, faith-stepping pioneer, there are those who like to come in afterward and take advantage of that person's work, which is just a twisted way of looking as if you could take advantage of something that God has done. There are those that like to tear down and not build up. There are those that like to confuse. There are those that like to draw people after themselves. And rather going after the lost, which is really the mandate from the Bible for all of us. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like we did last week. We had that opportunity for our, our water baptism and the line was all the way down, all the way to the back of people were following through with exactly what Jesus told us to do. Make disciples and baptize them. 
Make them followers of me. And instead of, there are those that instead of making disciples of Jesus, they like to make disciples of themselves and draw people to themselves. Rather than going to the lost or going to the lost and dying world, they go to other believers and start arguing about fine points of theology. They start arguing about some of the things that are in the gray area. They start pointing out some obscure passage of scripture, something that, you know, you, you, even if you looked for it, you couldn't find it. And they pull it out and you go, oh, have you ever seen this? And automatically they got you because, well, no, I haven't seen it. And right away, they've got you moving. No, there's that sense of, I haven't seen it. And so, well, let, uh, let me show it to you, and then let me explain it to you. And, and hey, by the way, what church do you go to? Well, you know, I go to that church over there. I go to the Baptist church, or I go to Calvary, or, or I go to the Vineyard. Or I, and, and they all, oh, and then they have a speech that go right along with trying to tear down where you're going to church and trying to tear down the ministry. And, and before you know it, if you're not careful, they made some progress. Now, you haven't changed anything. You, haven't, you still plan on going back to the church that you're a part of a family. And you, you, but they planted a seed of doubt in you because you gave them an audience. Why are they coming to you? Why aren't they wanting to pray for you? Why don't they want to edify you? Why don't they want to build you up? Why would they want to come and steal you away from your church, steal you away from your intimacy with the Lord, and then draw you after themselves? If that's ever happened to you, that's exactly what's happening here in chapter in this in this church and in what we've looked at in the entirety of second corinthians they were being ripped off that's why when we see people come through you know part of the responsibility that we have as pastors is to watch and to watch out for you jesus was very clear that there will be wolves that come in and they come in in a variety of different ways one category of wolves are these doctrinal arguing going after believer wolves and we'll have none of it here we we we'll have none of that here that this just if you're even thinking about well you know I haven't been found yet you will we're checking you out right now we got cameras all in the retina display and all <laughs> no you know the funny thing is is that if you don't immediately give yourself away you will it'll be very clear and one of the ways that we'll, we'll know is by the kind of people that you leave behind. You know, we'll name will start coming up with hurting people who come in the office and say, hey, such and such and so and so. And you're like, where did you hear that from? Well, this dude, man, he was sitting right next to me. And, and, and he was telling me, and he opened his Bible. I said, where was he sitting next to you? Where? Like at Village Inn? He says, no, in the sanctuary. Really? Well, what's his name? Well, he said he was the Angel Joe or something. I don't know. And they're like, oh, okay. And then someone else comes in, and then we start, it, you know, just, just don't even, you know, wolves get, well, just, just don't be a wolf here, all right? Don't, you know, it's better to become a lamb and follower of Jesus than to try to rip the flock off here. We'll have none of it. Um, and Paul would have none of it. Paul, he couldn't be there personally, but remember he talked about it. He said, I could, if, you know, I'd, I'd love to be there. And if I could, and, I, and if I am able to be there, make sure it's a good visit, church. Take care of this before I get there. Make sure it's taken care of. Because Paul didn't like wolves as well. And as Paul, when he taught the glorious grace of God. Now, for these people in particular, we think we know who they are. There's some debate uh, among commentators and, and those. But there was a group of people that was always following Paul. They're known as the Judaizers. 
That's the phrase. They're known as those that were adhering to the law. Today we may call them legalists. We could call the Judaizers of the day legalists as well. And what they would do is Paul's teaching this glorious doctrine of grace. And then these guys would come in and say, no, 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 that's, that's not God's heart. God wants you to be circumcised. I mean, can you imagine a 40-year-old guy getting saved? And that's the first thing. Guess what? It's time to follow Jesus. Oh, I want to follow Jesus. Man, it's time to just go for it. Start rate. I, I'd love to do that. It's time to follow Jesus, but you got one thing you need to do. It's time to circumcise you, man. <laughs> they settled that back in Acts chapter 15. They settled that before all the laws. You need to take, keep this law. and you need, It's a misunderstanding of the ceremonial law that applies to the nation of Israel and not to the moral law that is revealed as the law fulfiller in Jesus Christ. And we've done many other studies in this in much depth. The law will not save you. Keeping a set of rules and regulations will not save you. You are unable, and so am I, to keep any artificial. We can't keep the law of God. That's why Jesus was sent to fulfill the law on our behalf so that as he lived a perfect, sinless life, he lived a life that completely fulfilled the law so that now, how do we fulfill the law? But by faith in Jesus because he gave himself for us. And now God now doesn't give us this external written law He has put, the Bible says, he's written his law on the tablets of our heart. And now the Bible becomes a book that helps us grow in relationship with Jesus. Because when you're abiding in Jesus by faith, you are keeping the law. When you're abiding in Jesus, you're not out ripping people off or lying or committing sexual sin of any sort. You're not in a place of rebellion And even if you do stumble, the Bible says, though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And even if you do find yourself in a difficult place, the Bible is a tether because the law has one purpose. And that's to reveal to us that we can't keep it. And because we can't keep the law, we have to cry out for some help. And when we cry out for help, God responds to that cry with his son, Jesus Christ. You can't, and I can't keep the law. So what they would do is come in and try to rip people off by laying these heavy burdens, just like Jesus said. Again, jot it down. Mark chapter 7, verse 7 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, and they replace God's commands with their own man-made teachings. Or in another place, Jesus would speak about laying the, the, the religious rulers of the day, the legalists of the day. He said, you lay heavy burdens on people that you yourself can't even carry. And that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. And it would be, a, it would be so sad if that ever happened here. Where in the absence of leadership, maybe the pastoral staff goes on a staff retreat. And, and so, you know, there's just no pastoral team here and, and everybody's in a weak moment and this rush of people come in and so quickly convince you everything you've ever learned about grace is no good. Here's the law. Follow us. And we would have to come back and go in. Are you guys, are you, we were only gone for a day, just a day. We were gone for five hours, six hours. What happened? Yeah, but they sounded so convincing and I really needed a list. And Ed, you never, you said you'd never give us a list, but they said they'd give us a list. So they gave me a list. I'm following the list. And we'd have to come back and go, wait a minute. Page after page after page. You don't follow a list. You're led by the spirit. 
You, you don't come and, be, and present yourself, even as sincere as you are, you don't present yourself under the bondage of some man or woman that teaches you man-made doctrines that don't reflect the heart of God, that don't reflect his character as his nature. You know, God, he, he affords you so much freedom by faith. He affords us so much in relationship. He allows so much in our lives. And I can get a sense as, remember, 2 Corinthians is the, if we were to ask what are the pastoral epistles, almost immediately, those of you that are Bible students would immediately say 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And you'd be right. Because those are letters Paul wrote to young Timothy as a pastor and Titus as a pastor. They're way back on the end of your New Testament. Men that Paul discipled, mentored, we would say today. And they're pastors, and they're known as the pastoral epistles because Paul wrote a couple quick notes and said, this is how you pastor Timothy in Ephesus, and this is how you pastor Titus on Crete. But if you were to maybe be uh, in a Bible trivia game, that's the answer you'd want to give. But I would just give you one little extra book. If you're looking for a pastoral epistle, it's sort of like the Lord's Prayer. If I asked you what the, where the Lord's Prayer was, almost immediately you're going to tell me in Matthew. Or you're going to recite it to me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's often known as the Lord's Prayer. It's really not. It's a model prayer. But it's not really the Lord's Prayer. Jesus isn't praying there. He says, in this manner, pray. He's not really praying there. He's giving some direction in his teaching. If you really want the Lord's Prayer, it's where? John 17. Because that's where he's praying. You want to hear Jesus pray? John 17. It's the same here. If you really want, yes, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, or 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, they're pastoral epistles. But if you really want to read a pastoral epistle, 2 Corinthians is it. Because Paul bears himself. He lays it all on the line. He says, this is how I feel when my church is under attack. This is what I say when I'm under attack. This is the truth. This is a pastoral epistle. With that in mind now, verse 1, chapter 11, he says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he comes, he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. Wow. These are words of love. There was an deep of relationship between the pastor Paul and his flock. God used Paul, if you remember, in Corinth in just 18 short months to not only be used to plant a church, but to disciple and leave leadership and establish a work in the carnal pagan city of Corinth. He said back in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, well, go ahead and go there. 1 Corinthians is just a few pages back. Chapter 4, remember how he described himself. He described himself in an intimate way before with this church. And in verse 14, he says, 1 Corinthians 4.14, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. 
For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. He saw himself as a father. Not the kind of maybe when you associate father in the church like a priest. It's not like that. He sees himself, and I know I look at many, many people in the church that I've had a privilege of serving, and I see them as sons in the faith. I'm not that old for some of them, um, but I feel a fatherly responsibility over them. I feel a fatherly responsibility over the ladies in the church to make sure that you're taken care of, single or married, to make sure that you're, you're, you're abiding. If you're married, that you're abiding in that marriage relationship that God has blessed you with. If you're single, that you stay pure and chaste unto the Lord until God brings the right person. I mean, I feel that. I understand what Paul's saying. I, I feel that. I'm not everybody's father, but I realize that. I, I get that sense of being a dad myself with boys and a girl. I, I understand you know, you guys have a lot of teachers, and you do. I, we could say the same thing here. You have a lot of teachers. You can turn on the radio, the internet. There's a lot of people that instruct you, but God has given you a pastor. He's given you a pastor. Now, if, it's, if you're here for a year, then God has given me as a pastor in your life. Not to lord over you, take advantage of it, but to serve you. I didn't do that. You can't say you did that. God is moving us around to put people in our lives in order to help us. You know, he'll put people in our lives to help us, and we don't even know why. We don't know yet. We don't know. We don't know what it is, and and so we're just like, okay, God, you want me there? I'm going to submit there. And while you might have instructors in Christ, you know, you have to be real careful because not everybody's going to instruct you in a way that's going to take, that's going to bless you and encourage you. you. You need to be careful. Paul's heart as a father to his congregation here is clear. And the picture is even more powerful. The picture is of a father that has a daughter. In ancient times, it was a very big deal to have, see your daughter married. I mean, it's a big deal now. My daughter's not getting married till she's 50, 60. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know those movies. What, you know, what are those uh, Jane Austen movies? Like that, that kind of marriage way back, way in the future. But, you know, if her and her mom disagree with me, I still have this heart to make sure that my daughter, if she's engaged to be married, I can't even say, I'm not even, why did I say that? That's, <laughs> this father in the ancient time would see it as a duty to present his daughter as a chaste virgin to her husband. That's his desire, to do whatever he needed to do to protect her and guard her for that upcoming beautiful moment in time. That's how Paul saw himself at the church. As a father, he betrothed them to Jesus and felt a strong responsibility to keep them in a place of purity and not let them be taken advantage of. He says the fear that he has in verse 3 is that they might be deceived by craftiness. So we know what was going on there. They were being deceived by craftiness. Their minds being corrupted by the junk that they were letting in it. And what was it taking away from? The simplicity that was in Jesus. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our new website at AboundingGraceRadio.com by clicking on Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of The Third Option by Miles McPherson. In it, Pastor Miles speaks out about the racial divisions in today's world and encourages us to see people as God sees them. It contains awesome practical takeaways and exercises to help you understand the points of views of others. I think you'll also be inspired and encouraged to make positive changes in our country, starting with yourself. Again, ask for a copy of The Third Option when you call today at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Making a donation to the ministry is easier than ever, as you can now do so through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Tell a friend about these daily studies, and then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 2 Corinthians. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.